something is wrong. Something about traditional office model really isn't working. You are listening to Running Remote, a podcast about building and scaling effective distributed teams. Join us as we dive inside the minds and processes of CEOs, managers, nomads, and dynamic entrepreneurs who are building impactful businesses and organizations through this new and innovative movement. They've thrown out the traditional rules and business textbooks and are actively finding new ways of organizing their teams, driving productivity, and scaling their growth. I'm your host, Stephanie Burns. Today's episode is brought to you by Running Remote, the world's largest remote work conference. Check out the speaker lineup at runningremote.com and get 20% off your ticket for being a podcast listener. Simply use code IRUNREMOTELY and your 20% discount will automatically be applied. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Running Remote Podcast. I'm Stephanie Burns, your host. Today, I have with me Jen Rains loring the Vice President of People at Springboard Retail. Hey, Jen, how are you? Hi, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on today because before we hit record, we chatted for a few minutes and you told me that your company brought the team remote. It was a transition that happened and we yep. haven't talked about that on the podcast in a while. So I'm very excited to dig into that. But before we do, can you give us some background on you for everybody that is listening at the moment of record? You just had a brand new baby. So congrats on that. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so you're, you're tired, obviously, but give us some background on you, where you came from, how you made it to this point in your career. Definitely. Well, you certainly set me off on a high note with introducing my new baby. And I also have a two-year-old. So thank you. Proud working mom. But yeah, so I actually found my way to kind of HR and people at a slightly later stage than most people, or excuse me, a very non-traditional HR background. Spent many years, like over a decade in operations for direct-to-consumer retail companies, including a couple you may have heard of like Lily Pulitzer and Swarovski. So I had kind of a great first act, but truly through those work experiences, found that I was becoming more and more passionate about HR, especially as I transcended to leadership ranks over time, really kind of came to figure out that HR and people operations are kind of the lever in my mind for creating high-performing companies. So over time, took on more and more HR work as it became available. Thankfully, I've been in early stage companies for a while. So wearing a lot of hats can have pros and cons. One of the pros is that I've been able to kind of get closer and closer to HR informally. And then more formally at Springboard Retail about two years ago, as you mentioned, we made that transition to become a fully remote company. And at the time, we formalized my role as VP of People as well. So kind of truly a bit of a serendipitous dream job at this point in time. Um, and we're two years in and it's it's going well. Amazing. So let's just dive into what we really want to talk about right now, the transition. Why did you make the transition? Where was the team located before this? You know, what made you take the leap? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of a, a mix of factors. I say that we're very openly, we're always looking to be open and honest about our story. Some of it I think would come from the cost side. Boston is a very hot market, especially for technology companies. And when it comes to talent and real estate, I think the cost side of things in the Boston market became kind of an increasing part of the equation. And you know, from like a people experience standpoint in the Boston market, commutes went from kind of annoyingly long for, for people to like unsustainably long in a lot of cases, just as more and more companies have moved into Boston. So I think that kind of leads us to our perhaps 
more important reason we became a remote company is we were just getting a lot of requests from employees. Just this clear trend toward increasing demand for flexibility. You know, whether that was, I'd like to work from home one day a week because again, my commute's really long or could I have a, a special schedule because I have childcare or elderly care or whatever the personal situation might be, or even I want to work at my beach house, that type of thing. We just sort of felt at one point in time that we were spending a lot of time and energy fielding these requests. And, you know, looking back, I think we frankly were maybe inconsistent and perhaps a bit resistant to these increased requests for flexibility. But then we were, we kind of looked at ourselves and we're like, why are we doing this? Like we, we're starting to feel like we're on the wrong side of history. Like this is what employees want. More and more reputable companies are kind of embracing this. Like we ought to kind of like strategically lean into flexibility versus kind of unstrategically fighting against it any longer. So we kind of took the plunge. We definitely didn't know for sure this was going to work out being a remote team, to be honest. We structured it as a 90-day experiment in the beginning. And I always kind of look back and, and reflect that the timing was quite fortunate. I, we didn't kind of choose it that way. Just for various reasons, that was the timing kind of around April, May of 2018. That's a great time to kind of test a remote model, I think, because summer certainly is one of those times of the year that employees just want more flexibility in terms of location, right? So we had people really taking advantage of the experiment. Yeah. And then we you know, stayed really close to everyone to understand how it was going and certainly was not all smooth <laughs> after a lot of trial and error and optimization over the months. It's become our full-time operating model. So at this point in time, we are a fully distributed team. We're 53 and counting, 53 wow. people distributed across 14 U.S. states and 10 countries at this point. So kind of got pushed into remote, if I'm being really honest, in various ways. We're really happy that we did in retrospect. Wow. So what were some of the stumbling blocks, you know, some of the ones that you can warn our listeners about? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that certainly recruiting and onboarding is, is reasonably well documented out there in terms of that transition to remote work. As actually I've heard on your podcast, several um, guest speakers in the past have alluded to the fact that the impact on recruiting is very specific when you become a remote team because your recruiting funnel just explodes. Again, back to that very high demand for remote work. And we are a very lean people team, primarily me. And so kind of really <laughs> overhauling recruiting in the beginning to keep up with the demand and of course still create a great candidate experience that allows the really motivated smart people to come to the top was a really big challenge in the beginning. Certainly involved introducing a lot of new tools and technology and overhauling the process for each team. So recruiting got a lot of attention in the beginning and as I mentioned, kind of required a lot of experimentation for us at least. And then onboarding kind of followed because mm. as so many great re remote companies mentioned, you kind of don't show up in an office on day one, right? You literally log onto your computer and, and you work somewhere, right? So that experience must be super structured and intentional in our minds. So we spent a lot of time building out that onboarding process. And we're always honest about the fact that when we first became a remote team, we did experience some early turnover, which is very rare for us. So we were like, oh, something is wrong. Something about traditional office model really isn't working in the new remote world. So we had to do a lot of kind of optimization there as well. How interesting. And what did you find? From an onboarding standpoint, somewhat obvious, I actually heard someone on your, your podcast say recently that in traditional offices, there is a process for facilitating meetings. It is just really simple. You just walk up and you meet with someone, right? And so uh, that was a really good point. The process exists, but you don't think about it in that way in a traditional office in many cases. So I think we just really didn't have enough of a process built out to bring people on. We went down different paths and you know we're very big on kind of test and learn mentality 
And I think after a couple of iterations, what we figured out in terms of onboarding is that for a remote team, the most important goal you can accomplish in your employee onboarding experience is not to teach someone everything, right? That's just not that feasible. It's more to make sure that they know where to go to get the information, meaning that they have established relationships with all key players for their role in the company and are very comfortable reaching out to anybody at any time so that at the conclusion of their onboarding, hopefully they have a working foundation of knowledge for their job, but much more importantly, they've established those relationships and they're quick to to Slack somebody or, you know, contact them in any one of our communication methods to continue that learning process. So establishing those relationships became the number one goal of onboarding for us. Right. And how did you make the transition? Was it just, okay, on Monday, everybody's going to be working from home or was it rolled out in phases and what kind of precautionary things did you take or process did you put into place in order to make the transition happen? Yeah. So it was a very chaotic time in my mind. Um, As I mentioned, we we pride ourselves on being agile and, you know, responsive and test and learn. So truly our our lease ran out. So we had been considering multiple options, including different office locations in and around Boston, some sort of hybrid model, and then a fully remote model. And we ended up kind of taking a deep breath, as they say, and kind of diving into the remote model. And so in terms of transition, one interesting thing we did is that we did opt for co-working space. So to answer your initial question, yes, it was a reasonably rapid transition. We kind of made the decision announced to the team. And within about, I want to say two to three weeks after that, people were no longer required to show up just kind of on a random Monday in May. They just stopped coming to the office every day. And we were about I'd say 25 people at that point in time, the vast majority of which were working in the office in Boston. So it was quite the transition for people. And so we did opt for co-working space, as I mentioned, and we kind of experimented, even with that, we're members of a company called Spaces, which is a Regis-owned company. They've got some great locations, and not only in Boston, which we obviously utilize on a regular basis, but then also around the world. So as we've expanded recruiting pool, certainly others can benefit, even if you're not in Boston, which most of our new hires are not at this point in time. So to facilitate the transition, we did opt for co-working space to kind of bridge the gap a little bit for people who did want that separate location from their home or wherever else they might work. Yeah, and I think beyond that, we did a lot of true feedback-driven kind of approach from employees, right? As I mentioned, we set it up as an experiment. We said to them, like, your, your feedback absolutely matters. This is not a foregone conclusion that we will remain remote. We continued to look for office space, actually, during the experiment. We were that kind of committed to multiple options at the conclusion of the time frame. So we made it very clear to employees that we needed to understand how this was working for them, right? So we did a combination of kind of self-reported quantitative data, such as rating your own productivity, happiness, collaboration, these types of metrics. And then, of course, a lot of qualitative conversations with myself and other leaders of the company. I think people were very open about their struggles, which helped us to help them, myself included. I thought the transition was very difficult in many ways. And being very honest about that made people more open to come to me and say, I actually really agree this is difficult. 
So I think we got a lot of qualitative feedback that helped us find the right tools and change process, as I mentioned. So that helped a lot. And then also would be remiss in saying that in addition to kind of getting a lot of employee feedback, we did watch the business metrics very closely. I think one thing we've done very importantly is that we have someone, me, (laughs) (laughs) our remote to work kind of initiative. We consider it a very strategic initiative, an ongoing, important part of the company operating model. So I think having someone who's really accountable for, as I mentioned, those employee metrics and, you know, kind of employee experience, but then also how remote work fits into the business model and drives business outcomes in line with targets was also something really important, not only to the transition, but to the ongoing success of remote work for us, because it is a business, right? We, we are here because, you know, we want to serve customers, want to remain in business and do the thing we set out to do. So remote work has to fit into that. So I think having someone kind of in charge of it and accountable to make Make sure all these things happen was a big part of why we were able to transition effectively. Right. Personally for you, making the transition just in your everyday work life, what was difficult? Yeah, I think as, as you and I were speaking just a bit ago before we pushed the record button, as you said, I was in an interesting spot in that I had returned from maternity leave right after the birth of my first daughter. And I think I had just this specific vision of how that was going to go, right? So I think I was in a time of personal transition. And so we'd hired a full-time nanny. We had moved closer to the office. So we literally kind of relocated based on the office location. I was kind of ready to attack the world as a full-time working mom who leaves her house every day and commutes into Boston and kind of had all of that really figured out. Well, at least in my head, (laughs) I did. And then we were all of a sudden kind of having a very different conversation about what daily work at Springboard Retail might look like. And I might not leave my my new house that I bought close to the office. And it, it felt like a very big departure from what I thought the experience would look like. But, you know, I do have to say it's one area of remote work that over time and with practice being a remote worker, I've become very passionate about what remote work can do for working mothers. I mean, working parents in general, frankly, but I think, you know, remote work has the potential to finally be a bit of a solution to the conundrum of the full-time executive female who has a young family or children at home. Clearly something, you know, our society has been struggling with for a long time. And I've had this great opportunity to go through my first pregnancy, kind of delivery, maternity leave, return to work in a traditional office. And then as I just shared with you, gone through the same cycle on a remote team. So just as a data point of one, I guess you could say it's been an incredible experience from a remote standpoint. An important hallmark of Springboard Retail's version of remote work is we work from anywhere. And so it's a key distinction our CEO made very early on. And it's been kind of a guiding light for us in our remote kind of experiment. So what it means to us is that we must be equipped for any Springboarder, which is what we call ourselves, to um, work from anywhere at any time effectively. So yeah, so it's more than just like equipping everyone with like a computer and a home office and a stable internet connection. It's that we need to be able to collaborate and communicate with people literally working from cars and parking lots and wherever wherever it might be. From a personal standpoint, as you well know, as as a fellow working mom, even things like the many, many doctor's appointments in pregnancy. In the first time, I I just felt so guilty not being in the office, like physically present. 
And in the second time, because we're a remote team that works from anywhere, I literally would just pack up my computer and <laughs> log on to a meeting via Zoom in the corner of the waiting room or whatever it might be. So it was such a more seamless experience in many ways. And then actually recently, as I share with you, my, my daughter's seven weeks old and I'm already back to work very voluntarily. And I think the reason I'm able to do that is specifically because the team is remote. It would be very difficult, I think emotionally, you know, to go back and feel like I wasn't connected, but I'm in my home. I'm seeing my daughter at multiple points throughout the day. I'm not losing two hours a day commuting in and out of Boston. So emotionally, I think it's just easier because I do have that bonding time. And then being kind of very candid in, this, in the spirit of hoping to inspire other companies to offer similar things to new moms, it would be very hard to get motivated to go back to work at six or seven weeks to pump multiple times in like an awkward room in a corner of a building somewhere type of thing. So I kind of eliminate a lot of those kind of awkward logistical challenges that I think working women face. Just being in the comfort of my environment, I think has made it possible literally for me to return to work early and feel really good about that choice. So oh, yeah. Yeah. And especially for your baby. I was just having a conversation with another woman for everybody in the podcast probably don't know where I'm located, but I'm located in Bentonville, Arkansas. And Bentonville, Arkansas is the headquarters of Walmart, J.B. Hunt and Tyson Foods. So it is a very, very affluent area and very corporate driven. And so there are a lot of working mothers here in this corporate environment where typically they are their family's breadwinner. You know, them not going back to work is not really financially an option, you know, because there's a lot of women here who have very high powered positions. And this woman that I was talking to, she was saying how she wanted to put a proposal together to Walmart to open up almost a co-working center with childcare for the first year postpartum wow. where all the working moms can work. And instead of pumping, you walk down the hall to your baby and feed it. And then you walk back to your desk. And so, you know, you, there's childcare on site. You can go over and see your baby and, and feed your baby and then go back to work. In the first year of postpartum, and I thought that was just the most brilliant idea. And it's just so amazing to see the evolution of workplace culture serving parents in a way that makes sense for everybody. Because we have to have our, our lives, you know, I mean, if we could pass off the job of, of having children to men, um, <laughs> then things might be a little different, but we can't. So we have to make some concessions and we need to start thinking creatively on how to keep the talent in our companies while growing families. So I, I really love to hear that because it's amazing what remote work has done for family. Stephanie, I think it's such a great point. And at Springboard Retail, we talk a lot about work-life integration and something we've learned over time that has required us to kind of further optimize our remote model is that for us anyway, remote work really has led to asynchronous work in many cases and kind of increased flexibility in terms of working hours as well. So I think we wouldn't have been able to make the distinction at the outset of when we transitioned that what constraints were we lifting? Was it just location or was it also working hours? But over time, working hours have kind of been necessarily also lifted as a constraint on our springboard population, largely because we've hired in various time zones. So certainly that's kind of impacts the notion of a standard working day, right? But back to your point about kind of working mothers and how that fits into your life, I think because we've really changed our mindset around fixed hours, it's given people a lot of opportunity to 
to kind of re-engineer their lives a bit and figure out like, how does work most strategically fit in my life? And how do I get my productivity on all fronts highest, whether that's work, home, community, or whatever it might be. I think when people have the opportunity and the freedom around kind of both location and working hours, you do start to get very different outcomes, like the ones that you're pointing to kind of not pumping all day, but then having your child right there certainly is, is a big game changer. So I feel like in terms of work-life integration, that's something we would definitely celebrate. Oh yeah. It makes such a big deal. So at Springboard Retail, what kinds of things are you doing now to foster culture or to at least push culture forward since you've made the transition to remote? I like how you ask the question just in terms of now, because frankly, we're nearly two years into being a remote team. And as we talked in the beginning, I think the challenges are really morphed, right? Like in the beginning, it's all physical things. It's it's co-working space. It's recruiting, onboarding, you know, basic collaboration, communication. And I think we've made good progress on all of those fronts. I don't claim that anything is perfect, by the way, but I think we've made solid progress and hopefully our team would agree. And I think the challenges have changed. So in in terms of now, I think culture has become kind of more important almost because I, th- I think what we've realized is that we didn't intend it this way, but looking back, transitioning to a remote team was like this great opportunity to upgrade and kind of redefine our culture a bit, right? So we're a high growth, early stage tech company. So of course you, you go through a lot of change as part of scaling a business at the pace that we are. And while we never took on kind of like an intentional high-minded culture project through transitioning to remote, you do have to make a lot of choices. Like something we tell ourselves a lot is that remote work impacts everything. It impacts company meetings, it impacts feedback sessions, it impacts day-to-day, you know, employee communication, it impacts who you know. And so I think it's been a great opportunity to be more intentional about the culture that we're trying to create. And I think we've had kind of new values kind of emerge and become more clear that this is who we want to stand for. Things like I'm I was talking to you about like work-life integration and and being on the forward edge of kind of employee trends. I don't think we could have said that was important to us before. So I think it's been a great opportunity to upgrade the culture and kind of define it a bit more clearly. And then I think, you know, culture remains always kind of a, a core challenge, especially for remote teams, right? And so a couple of key learnings for us. I've personally seen that kind of your team leaders, whatever level that is at your organization, is a really big lever in culture, especially in remote teams. And I think it's because team-specific culture becomes much stronger than I've seen it in more traditional offices. I think that's probably just by nature of who you interact with most. And because interactions become so intentional on remote teams, you just bond closely with your team in many ways. So something that we've invested a lot of time in and will continue to do is kind of that. For us, it's that manager, senior manager, director level, like those people who are leading kind of those teams and units, making sure they're comfortable, confident leaders who are really in line with our culture and are comfortable spreading it to the people that work for them and just embodying it on a day-to-day basis. I think that layer of the organization is a really important lever that you can't overlook as a remote team. And then, you know, I think outside of that, we do try to be very intentional and facilitate a lot of interactions that are outside of your team, frankly, because I did notice at some point in time that it was very easy to just interact with your team (laughs) um, in, in a remote company. And so we were like, we don't want that for various reasons of course, just for quality of work experience and relationships, but also so that springboarders can have a compelling career path that may or may not be on their immediate team. So we spent a lot of time building out our virtual community, we call it, which essentially are video-based interactions that can be both work and non-work, kind of a mix of 
everything from learning and development opportunities and product training to virtual holiday parties and <laughs> employee talking about their special interests and hobbies. And I think what we've learned about kind of having an effective virtual community is that we plan it in advance. We plan to have fun. Paradoxical <laughs> is that sound, but you know, people are busy in their day-to-day jobs. And if we want people to set aside time to have those interactions outside of their immediate team, including the social ones. We've learned that we set the quarterly agenda, we send out the calendar invites, we vary the times to make it convenient for different time zones. We try hard to make sure that there is a nice structure in place that people can kind of show up and see people who are not on their kind of operating team, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So what advice would you give someone who is looking to bring on a remote team or transition their team? Like what is the one thing that you just would like to say? The aspect that's proven to be kind of very foundational for us to establishing a thriving remote culture and remote team is actually very operational. And so just to give a couple of examples, I think we didn't have a transparent org chart before. We didn't have public job profiles and, you know, we were just a function of kind of where we were, age and stage of company, right? We didn't necessarily have all of our policies well documented and clearly communicated in an up-to-date version somewhere. We're loose around a lot of process, a lot of heavily operational things. And I think if that feels chaotic to employees, remote work may not work. I think you have to really have kind of a heavily operational view of the company, especially your people ops, because I think it's like table stakes, essentially. Like I think you read a lot more in the world out there about the, the culture and community and all kinds of things that are really big benefits of remote work. But I think it's that operational foundation that allows people to have the right technology, know who to go to to get information, know how to contact that person, know if that person has a meeting, like just that foundation to make sure employees really can access one another and are really comfortable doing so. And then also understand and what it means to be a springboarder, right? Whether it's HR policies, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think that having that foundation is key. And for us, that gets into some of the tools that we've chosen. In a remote team, I don't even feel like you can put your org chart in the PowerPoint deck because it needs to be up to date all the time, right? Like for instance, when people come onto the company, we walk them through it and you can kind of click through to see a detailed level of each person's role because if you're going to have a one-on-one with them, it'd be great to understand what they do, (laughs) who they report to. And in a remote team, you won't bump into them, right? So we have to kind of find ways to communicate that information. So we employ a tool called Pingboard. It's kind of integrated with G Suite, which is another big kind of part of our technology stack from an HR standpoint. And it's kind of integrated so that it's always up to date. So no dated org charts. No, if someone gets promoted, you need to update their job profile immediately. You need to communicate very clearly what their new responsibilities are, if that makes sense, so that people can really understand that across the company. So I think that's been really key. That remains our ongoing challenge, right? Something I spend a lot of time on. We employ a firm called Bambi. They are an HR kind of services provider broadly, but they help us with labor regulations and compliance because now we're in so many states and states have different you know, rules and regulations for things. And so I think getting that ironed out so employees feel comfortable that we are compliant and know that we're up to date was key. And then continuing down that path, right? Because we are also in 10 countries, as I mentioned. And so I think some of the bigger challenges on the horizon for remote companies remain around how to be inclusive but compliant. So I think things like administering benefits and paid time off across, of course, you want to be consistent across your company about that, right? That's part of being inclusive is offering a compelling experience for everybody. But let's be honest, I mean, offering paid time off 
in 10 countries is a cumbersome process, yeah. difficult to yeah. navigate, especially if you're an earlier stage company that doesn't kind of philosophically want to employ 25 people for it on a compliance team <laughs> type of thing. So mm-hmm. I think that operational foundation is really important. And frankly, it's one of the biggest challenges facing remote work and remote companies in the future. Oh, amazing. So great to talk with you today, Jen. I really appreciate you taking the time, especially away from your new baby girl, to come and <laughs> talk with us. It was great. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Always great to share our story. And I certainly invite people to, to reach out to us. We're, I personally am very active on LinkedIn. Would love to hear from anyone and love to, to learn from other remote companies. So would be happy to hear from those also on the journey and, and kind of doing this crazy remote ride. That's it for this episode of Running Remote. Thanks for joining us as we dive into the minds and processes of CEOs, managers, nomads, and dynamic entrepreneurs who are building impactful businesses and organizations through this new and innovative movement. We're a very small team behind this podcast, so if you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share this episode with a friend. And definitely check us out at runningremote.com. Until next time.